Uh, Maybe some of you are familiar with David Wilkerson. Uh, He founded Teen Challenge and then World Challenge, uh, Ministry for Drug Addicts. He then uh, founded um, uh, Times Square Church in New York. So he's done uh, a a lot of things. The, uh, The Cross and the Switchblade is the book that he wrote. So uh, David Wilkerson had a son named Gary, and Gary Wilkerson tells this story about his son, Ashley. He says, uh, I came from a long line of preachers that goes back several generations. So I wasn't surprised when my oldest son, Ashley, wanted to preach as soon as he was old enough to form sentences. My dad was visiting when Ashley announced he wanted to preach his first sermon to us. So I don't know, I'm picturing like a little four or five-year-old. I don't know how old he was. Uh, It says, uh, Ashley led us into his room where he'd set up a cardboard box for a pulpit. Dad and I sat on the floor as Ashley launched into a message he called, The Day the Sins Got Out. (laughs) Okay, so here's the sermon. I'm just going to say this is not exactly theologically correct. Uh, Not exactly historically accurate, but just listen to it with me. The sins were terrible, Ashley shouted, sort of like his grandpa. Jesus died on the cross for the sins. Then he threw the sins into the pit. But Jesus' brothers were jealous, so they threw him into the pit too. (laughs) Now Jesus and the sins were both in the pit. But Jesus got out. Then the sins got out too, so the sins were all over the world and they're still going on today. The sins are bad and we've got to stop sinning. The day the sins got out. By Ashley Wilkerson. Okay, so cute little sermon, right? And if if that was your four or five-year-old son or grandson, I'm sure you would be thrilled for his passion and his zeal for the scripture and his desire for the truth to get out. Uh, And then maybe you'd help coach him a little bit, right? But what struck me about that is is this. Probably here in, in Blairsville, Georgia, you could ask just about anybody, why did... Jesus die, or who is Jesus? What happened to Jesus? And they would answer you the way Ashley did. Jesus died for sins. Would you agree with that? Probably just about any, not everybody, but a lot of people in our area uh, would be able to answer that. And uh, the question is, hopefully, would we have a better theology? Would the rest of the story we tell sound like that, or would it sound different? Like, would we be able to, as, as Luke shared about meeting the UPS driver or clerk in Walmart, would we be able to, would you be able to, would I be able to just clearly express to somebody in a few words, in a couple of minutes, why Jesus died on the cross? I don't think any of us would be talking about Jesus' brother throwing him in a pit, but would we have what we needed to be able to share with someone why Jesus died on the cross? And even the rest of the story, what happened after Jesus died on the cross? Of course, we're here today celebrating the resurrection. So we've been talking about this really for the last month, who is Jesus? And we talked about the fact that uh, he's the son of God, he is the Christ, the Messiah, he is God himself, 
and he is our savior. And then the next, next week we talked about um, the trial. Why, why was Jesus put on the cross? And uh, we said this, Jesus was crucified because it was the plan of God for salvation accomplished by the actions of man. So God had a plan from the beginning that Jesus would come to the earth, he would live a perfect life, and he would die on the cross for your sins and for mine. But then we also talked about that it was, it was put into action by men, and, and it was this idea that Jesus claimed to be God, which was the straw that broke the camel's back, and the, and the leaders of the day said, this man must die. And then last week we talked about the crucifixion itself, and we talked about this idea, the cross satisfied God's justice through his love. And so the the idea that if God is just and God is holy and God is perfect, then how does he handle sinful man? Because God has said that sin must be punished and the punishment for sin is death. So how does a just God allow any of us to live? Uh, And it's because he's a loving God and he sent his son Jesus to satisfy the, the wrath of God against sin. And so we talked about that last week. And today, it's Easter Sunday, and we're celebrating the fact that yes, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he was put into the tomb, but then he rose again on the third day. And that's what we're here to celebrate this morning. So what I wanna talk about today is our hope for today and for the future hinges on the resurrection. So if you have your Bibles uh, this morning, turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. Uh, Matthew chapter 27, we'll start in verse 50. Uh, Let me pray and then we'll read the word together. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, allowing us to be here this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for his willingness to go to the cross on our behalf. And we thank you for the power of the spirit that raised him on the third day and gives us hope for today and hope for the future. Help us to see that in your word this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Matthew chapter 27, uh, starting in verse 50. This is really the conclusion uh, from last week's uh, service. And Jesus, he was on the cross, cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Uh, the next few verses talk about an, an earthquake uh, that took place, talk about uh, the, the, uh, the temple, the curtain in the temple was torn in two, uh, and talked about a couple other things. Verse 57 says, when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. And he went to Pilate, who was the governor, and asked for the body of Jesus, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. And Joseph took up the body, wrapped it in clean linen, shroud, and laid it into his own new tomb, which he had cut out of the rock. And he rolled a great stone in front of the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite of the tomb. So Joseph of Arimathea wrapped him up, placed him in the tomb. Um, I, believe it's the, I believe it's the book of... of um, John that tells us Nicodemus was with him, and Nicodemus and Joseph together, they, were, they sat on the Sanhedrin council. They were part of uh, the Pharisees and elders and the ruling body that, that put Jesus on the cross. Now, these two were disciples of Jesus, so maybe they weren't there or they didn't cast a vote, 
Um, but something really struck me as, as I was reading the accounts this year, and I came across Joseph of Arimathea, and I thought to myself, where were the disciples? Where were the, where were the 12 that had been with him all of this time? Um, where, were, where were his family members? Where were his brothers and sisters? Where were his uh, followers? And this is just what I thought. We need men and women, teens, boys and girls, who are willing to do what it takes to accomplish the work of the ministry. I wonder, did anybody thank Joseph and Nicodemus for taking care of the body afterwards? Maybe their colleagues ridiculed them. Maybe they were, we don't really, we don't know what happened. Uh, I could imagine possibly they had some explaining to do uh, with, with the, the rest of the Sanhedrin. Hey guys, what, what's up with this? We, we crucified him, why are you taking care of him after he was dead? They were willing to do the right thing in a difficult moment. That could be another sermon, right? Okay, so Easter Sunday, the resurrection. Uh, so um, if, if we continue uh, reading through this passage in verse 62 and continuing, the chief priests, the Pharisees, they got together and they said, hey, remember, didn't he talk about uh, coming, re- coming back to life again after three days? What if... What if his disciples come and steal him away uh, out of the tomb to kind of make, make this thing happen? So they went to Pilate, they asked for uh, a guard to be placed at the tomb, and Pilate said, look, you've got, you've got your soldiers, place a guard if that's what you want to do. All right, so continuing in Matthew chapter 28 now, verse one. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. They passed out. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Praise the Lord. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet, and worshiped him. Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The account of the resurrection. We read it in all four gospels. Uh, each, each author um, uh, recounted it from a slightly different perspective, so they're not all uh, identical, but it actually strengthens the validity of this question. Did it really happen? Like, did they just get together and come up with a story and put it in the scripture so that, so that it sounded good? If that were true, it would look much different than the way it was, uh, we have it here today. And, um, and so we want to talk this morning about the resurrection of Jesus. The Apostle Paul says it was the most important thing he could share about. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse, starting verse 3, Paul says, I delivered to you as first importance what I received. Paul said, this is the, the, the number one important thing, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, 
that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, who was Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus this morning? Later, or continuing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, let me I'll pick a few verses out. Verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Christ was not raised from the dead, we are wasting our time here this morning. I'm wasting my breath, you're wasting your listening uh, time this morning. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Christ did not come out of the grave that morning, then we are still in our sin. There is no freedom for sin, from sin for us. Verse 18, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. They're dead, they're not coming back. There's no hope for us either because verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people most to be pitied. Verse 20, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. Verse 54, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Two things this morning I want to talk about. The first is that the resurrection frees us from sin, and the second is that the resurrection gives us hope. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, make an assumption that many, if not most of you, are here this morning because you celebrate the resurrection. Like the, res- the fact that Jesus rose from the dead is a point of celebration for you. You are excited about that. And then I also realize it's Easter Sunday, so that we have many with us for a variety of reasons, and I am so glad that you came because I want you celebrating the resurrection with us before you leave this morning. But I know some might be skeptical of the resurrection. We are talking about uh, a man who died, was buried, and now lives again. Is there any cause for skepticism in those statements? Let's just talk about that for a couple of minutes. Because we want to talk about this morning how the resurrection makes a difference in our lives. So a couple of things. There is no historical text more reliable than the scriptures. You you don't have to be a Christian to believe that. You could be a secular historical scholar and you would say that's a true statement. There is no uh, historical text more reliable uh, than the Bible. When you compare the Bible to other historical texts written by Caesar or uh, Tacitus or Plato or uh, Aristotle or, I mean, you, you, pick, you pick the person. There is, I mean, it, it's not even close how many manuscripts of the, of, the, of the Bible that there are compared to the number of manuscripts for those texts. It's not even close when you look at the dates, like how long after the events of the Bible was the Bible written? Some of, some of the manuscripts we have are only 120 years older than the, than the events that they took place. Most of these other um, writers that we have that I mentioned that you would say, yeah, those are real guys, they wrote real things, and I would, if I read their writings, I would believe that they wrote them. Most of those manuscripts are, at, are close to 1,000 years 
written a thousand years after these guys were dead, and yet we would, we would trust them. So the Bible's written some of these manuscripts just a hundred years after the events. It's, if, if you were to do a study of it, you would be blown away of, of how reliable of a historical, if you just wanted to look at the Bible as a historical text, you would be blown away um, by how reliable it is. Uh, the second thing that you could look at if you were a little bit skeptical would be the Dead Sea Scrolls. These were discovered in the 1940s and the 1950s, um, and these were, um, these were scrolls that were uh, over a hundred, excuse me, oh, around a thousand years older than the rest of the Old Testament manuscripts that were in existence at that time. So it was most of the Old Testament, it's, it, they were a thousand years older than any other manuscripts we had, and they compared them side by side and they said, this is amazing. There's no other historical text that has been copied and preserved so accurately over the course of time as the Bible. So again, these are just, uh, these, are, these are not biblical proofs, but these are just, if you were just a historical scholar and you wanted to do some research, because you're a little skeptical, can I really believe that this is true? Um, there is no historical text in the history of the world that has been better preserved, has the number of records, or been more accurately copied than the Bible that we have today. It'd be worth looking into if you're, if you're a little bit suspicious. The other, the other things that raised some suspicion was they say, well, maybe Jesus wasn't really dead. Maybe like he was just beat up really bad and, and he, he made his way out of the tomb um, on, on his own. So a couple of things, if you are in the medical profession, you would, you would uh, maybe understand this or enjoy looking into this. The, the scourging that, that Jesus received, the lashes that he took, the, the beatings that he took left him close to dead as it was. When they nailed him to the cross, he was, many men did not make it to the cross. They were killed uh, during this, this punishment that Jesus took. And so he hung on the cross and he was crucified by professionals, executioners, Roman soldiers. This is what they did for a living. The Roman army crucified thousands and thousands of people. And so when the Roman centurion looked at Jesus and said, he's already dead, we don't have to break his legs, and they, they put a spear in his side, the scripture says, a mixture of water and blood came out. Now for me, that doesn't really mean anything, but if you were a medical professional, you would know if, if this man was alive, he'd have some bright red blood gushing from his side. Uh, but instead he had a mixture of blood and water which indicated he was dead. So we're not going to believe that Jesus maybe wasn't quite dead when they laid him in the tomb. And let's just say he wasn't quite dead. How did he, how did he break the seal and roll the stone back without anybody noticing? When Jesus went to the cross, he died for our sins, for your sins and for mine, and we can have confidence in that. The other, uh, the other theory would be, well, the Jesus', the Jesus disciples, they stole his body. They came in in the night and they stole his body and, 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 the, um, and in fact, the, uh, when the soldiers went to the chief priests, they, the scripture tells us they actually paid the soldiers to spread this story. Just say that you were asleep and his disciples came and they stole his body. Well, if they were asleep, how did they know it was the disciples? If they knew it was the disciples, why didn't they stop them? And, and again, professional soldiers, 
they didn't hear the stone being moved. It's not, we did, they didn't open a door to get, they removed the seal and somehow got this massive stone, maybe weighing 1,500 or 2,000 pounds or more, out of the way, and they were just sleeping. The resurrection is a historical fact. It's a miracle of God, and it can make all the difference in our lives today. Our hope for today and for the future hinges on the resurrection. The resurrection frees us from our sin. 1 Corinthians 15, 17, I read this already. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So let me just turn that around. If Christ has been raised, your faith is fruitful and you have been freed from your sins. Do you believe that Christ has been raised? Is that what you're putting your faith in this morning? Then you have been freed from your sins. Hallelujah. We don't have to be controlled by our sinful desires. As Luke shared this morning uh, at the sunrise service, I was just thinking, man, this is, this is a person who's living it out. He knows Jesus is with him. He knows that the spirit is in him and that God can use him when he yields himself to him. He does not have to be controlled by the sinful desires that once controlled him. Romans 8 chapter 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You Once you are in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. We have been set free from our sins. Verse 33 says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. If God justifies a person and says they are declared righteous, then they are righteous. And we can walk in that righteousness. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised and he's at the right hand of God who is indeed is interceding for us. After Jesus died, he was buried, he was raised to life. Now he's at the right hand of the Father praying for the saints. By his death, we have been freed from the power of sin in our lives. Who can condemn us? No one. Jesus has set us free. Jesus has declared us righteous. The resurrection sets us free from the power of sin. The resurrection also gives us hope. The obvious hope that we talk about is we hope for one day to be in heaven with our Savior. The resurrection is the hope for eternal life. After Jesus uh, was raised from the dead, he he walked on the earth, he ate food, he met with his disciples, uh, he had many interactions, and after 40 days, um, he returned to be with the Father. Acts chapter one, verse nine tells us about that. Um, Jesus, Jesus rose to be with the Father, he, he gave them the, the uh, commission to be witnesses, and uh, so the disciples are kind of just looking up into the sky. They just saw Jesus being ascended to the Father. And two angels came and said in Acts 1 verse 9, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is, this is something that we put our hope in today. 
Jesus is coming back. Amen. Amen? He came as a baby. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. He ascended to the Father. He went to heaven, and he has promised that he will return. Not as a suffering servant, though, but as a victorious Lord. Are you ready? John 14, verses one through three says this, let not your hearts be troubled. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is coming back for his church, for his people. He's gonna take his people to be with him. Are you one of Jesus' people? John 3.16 tells us that whoever believes in what Jesus did on the cross will not perish but will have everlasting life. Not everyone is gonna be excited when Jesus returns. Only those who have put their faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross and in the resurrection. We have hope for the future, but we've got hope for today. We've got hope for the coming week and the coming month and the coming year. First Peter one, verse three and four says this, blessed be God, excuse me, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again through our faith in Jesus to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So we have two hopes in these two verses. The, the one is what we were just talking about. We have hope for a future with him, a hope that when he returns, we will go to be with him, the hope that uh, when he returns to make all things right, we will live eternally with him. But in verse three, uh, it talks about a living hope. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Not born again to a future hope. We do have a future hope, but we are born to a living hope. When Jesus was raised from the dead, for those who believe in him, we have been given a new life. We have been made a new creation. We have been given everything we need for life and godliness. Do you have that hope? Are you a new creation in Jesus Christ this morning? How does that affect us? What difference does it make? Have any fearful people here this morning? You don't have to raise your hand for that. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Who needs a friend like that? That's who we have in Jesus. Are you an anxious person? 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. You ever have a friend that you just kinda, you're, you're dumping on them and they just get tired of the fact that you're dumping on them? 
Jesus says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. How's everyone's finances this morning? Can we talk about money in church? You know there are over 2,300 Bible verses about money. This includes topics like wealth and lending and greed and debt, contentment, investing, and more. God has a plan for our finances, and it's a good plan. How are your relationships this morning? Anybody need a little hope in their relationships? The Bible speaks to issues about friendships, about neighbors, about employers, about employees, about spouses, about children. We can have hope for our relationships. We can have hope for our finances. We can have hope when we're anxious. We can have hope when we're fearful. How are you doing with moral and character issues today, this past week? What do you got coming up this week that will test your character, your integrity? The Bible addresses honesty and integrity and work ethic and attitude and humility and pride. The Bible gives us hope for the issues that we face today. It's not just something that maybe will come true in the future. We have hope for today and we have hope for the future. When I say hope, it's not wishful thinking, it's confident expectation that Jesus can make a difference in our life. Scripture gives us everything we need for life and godliness. I'm not talking about a rule book. If you just follow these rules, you'll be okay. God will let you into heaven. No, that's not what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about the fact that you and I, apart from God, we are sinful people and we just choose the wrong thing. We make bad choices. Our sin separates us from God. And that's why God sent his son Jesus who lived a perfect life. There's a penalty for sin. And Jesus said, I'll pay the penalty so they don't have to pay the penalty. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, Jesus forgives your sin. You don't have to pay that penalty. That's true for every one of us here this morning. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? When you do, you are free from the penalty of the sin, of your sin, but then you also receive hope for what you're facing today, and you receive hope for the future with him. It all culminate either when Christ returns or when we pass from this world. Because that day will come. Either the day comes that Christ returns or we'll pass from this world. But one way or another, we will come face to face with Jesus. And it'll be either the best day of your life or the worst day because you realize or the, the Bible is right. So today's the day when you can put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This is, this is God's world, we're just living in it. I don't know who said that, but lots of people have said it, applied it to different things. And as creator of the world, he said, I want you to live in a relationship with me. 
Adam and Eve broke that relationship and we've been doing the same thing ever since. And it's only when we put our faith and trust in what Jesus did. We've got a choice. We can allow Jesus to pay for our sins or we can pay for it ourselves. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, he pays for our sins and we have a hope for a better today, a better tomorrow, and a glorious future with him. My prayer is that you have entered into this type of relationship with Jesus. My prayer is that if you've entered into this kind of relationship with Jesus, you're applying the truth of the word to your life. Just, just as Luke humbly exp- shared some of the things that God's done through him. Not because he's the greatest person in this room, he's just being obedient. And he's saying, man, you should have been there this morning. You can see that I was, I'm, I'm really thankful for the service. It was a testimony of, boy, if you just do what God says for you to do and trust that God will do what he says he'll do, Boy, you can live a really good life. Is your hope this morning in this world or is it for the next? I hope it's not just for what you can accomplish here, but for what he can do for you, both here and in the future. Let's pray together. We're just gonna sing here a little song, Because He Lives. Of course, many, probably many of you are familiar with as we sing this song this morning, I want you just to reflect on your relationship with Jesus. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ this morning? His work on the cross. Do you, have, you, have, have you believed that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and that when Jesus died, he paid the price for your sins? And that when he rose again, he gives you hope for the future, that the same power that, rose, that raised Christ from the dead can work inside of your life to give you hope for today and for the future. If, if you've never done that this morning, it's just, it's just as simple as admitting that you're a sinner, believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and just confessing it, saying, Lord, I need you. Thank you for dying in my place. I believe that you died. I believe that you rose again. I believe that if I put my faith and trust in you, that you will come and live in me, that you'll free me from my sin and give me hope for tomorrow. If, if you're a, a, a follower of Christ already this morning, and you just kind of been, just put it on cruise control for a while, you're just not really sure that it makes a difference in your life, my challenge to you this morning is, is just to say a prayer. Lord, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Maybe, maybe you need to commit this morning to say, I believe it's true. I need to start putting my, my beliefs into action. If, if you're in any of these situations and just want to talk to somebody, you want to ask questions with somebody, you want to pray with someone or have someone pray with you, just invite you to come to the front as we sing this song. We'll have people here that would love to just share with you, uh, pray for you, encourage you. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that because you live, you didn't stay in the tomb, but you rose again. Because you live, we can face tomorrow. Because you live, we have hope for the future. God, I pray that in this room this morning,
Not one of us would leave without um, either making a commitment to you and saying, yes, I believe, Jesus, what you did for me, or just reaffirming our commitment to live in the hope that we have. Thank you that we have hope. Thank you that we have your spirit. Thank you that when we are being obedient to you, yielded to your spirit, nothing is impossible with you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.